and welcome to Writing About Dragons and Shit, a podcast where two authors and a writer get together and talk about the ways that they tell stories. I'm one of your hosts, Trevor Bettis, your resident writer and podcast from such shows as I'm Gonna Podcast and Champions of Lore. And with me each week are two amazing people who are. I'm Erin M. Evans. I'm the author of the forthcoming Empire of Exiles and the Brimstone Angels Saga. Uh, B. Dave Walters, I say words about things. I also realize we do have a guest, spoiler alert, although I guess you probably already read it in the description, who uh, I don't know that we told that this was audio only. So this is audio only. <laughs> uh, uh, ominous voice that you will hear momentarily. Uh, and uh, I would like to think I'm recovered from COVID, but you know what? Maybe not. So, and, uh, we'll find out. We're yeah. about to find out. And, and like you said, we have a very special ominous voice guest, uh, Ed McDonald. Hi, I'm Ed McDonald. I'm uh, author of the uh, recently published Daughter of Red Winter and the Raven's Mark trilogy. Heck yeah. Thank you so much for uh, taking time and being here. Thanks. Um, I I've already interrupted the way this is meant to run once. Uh, like I told you before the show, casual. this is how it goes. Yes, this is how this goes. It is totally is, fine. It is honestly the spirit of the of the enterprise. To, to very, tell much, the truth. very much. Yeah. I mean, so I, I, I don't right want to. I don't want to understand, undersell my skills, but I have to do very little editing for the show, um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's all good. Um, but yeah, so uh, uh, Ed is here. Uh, I've been trying. We've been talking about being uh, getting him on the show here for a little bit, and uh, because of scheduling and whatnot, it has, uh, it has not been good on our side. <laughs> Sorry about that. So thank you very much for taking the time to do it. Um, but you sent over uh, a list of like possible topics, and I showed Aaron and B Dave, and they're just I like, I love these topics. It's like screw it. Let, let's these let's just great. talk about all these <laughs> as many as we can I, so. I i mean i must have had an idea about what i would say about some of them but i've totally forgotten what <laughs> the list. so okay. it's, maybe, it's yeah. okay this was literally sent august 1st so it's okay <laughs> it's been a little bit <laughs> Um, well, I, I, I think, I think the one that, cause I, you know, it was, it wasn't in order, but I think the one that I want to bring up first, uh, because Aaron showed, uh, a, a very high interest in talking <laughs> about it. Uh, and I love the way it was worded prophecies. Do we love them or hate them? Prize very much lit up as was foreseen. <laughs> <laughs> so where do you come down on this? So which, I, I, was about, I, I was about to say which you, the royal you, the three of us here. Oh, sorry, I was speaking to the guest. It's true, right? <laughs> and yeah. mm -hmm. since you suggested this, so I, I think prophecies, like we've got to a point with prophecies in fiction now, where don't you know? As soon as they start talking about the prophecy, that all you're going to be looking for is how is the wording being misrepresented? <laughs> that is a big one. Yeah. Like, is there any is there any other way you can actually play a prophecy storyline? I don't think there is. I because... think there is, but I okay. think it, oh. it still kind of falls under that umbrella, right? Because I think it, the more specific your prophecy gets, the more you're resting on semantics or like wordplay stuff. Um, but one thing I one question I really love that I don't see asked enough, but it does come up is like, who's giving this prophecy, and what are their motives? <laughs> right because especially because a lot of times like the gods hand this down well this is a polytheistic religion uh presumably every god's got a slightly different take on this what is it that they want to happen and so why are they telling you this um because i think there's a certain amount that the tradition of the prophecy and fantasy like again originally it's like this is laid down in stone and thus it will happen and the the surprise will be in the wordplay or in the like 
oh no, it seems like it possibly can't, uh, or it, it can't possibly, um, or we gave it to a farm boy. How is that going to happen? Um, but I think that sort of question of like, if it's not a sort of locked in stone kind of thing, if we say, okay, everybody has free will, including the people who are saying this, like there's a, there's an opportunity in there for sort of like, how much does this have to happen? How much is it locked in that I think is interesting? Mm. But, that might be why my face issue, made that face. <laughs> that's the issue of predeterminism, right? Right. Mm. If the prophecy is predetermined and it's going to come to pass, no matter what happens, then the agency of the characters in the storyline are removed because it'll it'll come to happen regardless. If it's not predetermined, it's not a prophecy. <laughs> it's just a guess. Right, but if we're treating it like that, if we're treating it like that, or if we're like, okay, so the super powerful god of prophecy says this is going to happen, and if it doesn't happen, he's going to be real pissed. <laughs> it's a different story, right? It's a different yeah. opportunity. But I think partly because, and I, I guess that's also the gamble, because if you say this is a prophecy story, a lot of people are going to go, eh, mm. right? So can you can you work it in a way? I think that's an interesting it's an interesting tool that you can use. But I think you're very right that like the sort of if you play it by the by the rules, it does create a lot of those problems, right? Like mm. if it's locked down, why does it matter what you do? Yeah, I, I I think in this day and age, to both of your points, it's uh it's tough because if you follow the prophecy, people feel cheated because it's obvious. If you don't follow the prophecy, they feel cheated because it's a it's a prank as you say like people like to be surprised not I, know, I, I really like, like that it's just a question <laughs> well it's, it's like the freaking maggie the frog thing in game of thrones which you know blah. um i, I, I think but, issues you know, yeah we, we probably should warn you ahead of time yeah. just in no, case I'm you may know george r. r martin no I, I, tell him, I said he's dead to me if you know him um but uh, I, i'll, I, I'll I, tell him at christmas <laughs> if uh Oh, if it's if it's done pro properly, I think a prophecy kind of gives a story the vibe of a prequel, where it now becomes less about what's going to happen and how is it going to happen. It's about the journey to which we get there and how does it actually manifest. I think um, the stories where it was done quite well, clearly Macbeth, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you kind of point to Shakespeare as an excellent example of most anything, where they tell Macbeth all these incredible things have to happen, and he's like, none of that's possible. I'm a be king. Woo! <laughs> I would you love know, that stage version. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, is, I, it, I, is this how it's taught over the Atlantic? I was about to say, just well, to torment, torment you, our, our British guests. You yeah. make that joke, but I literally saw a stage production of that where it was the meta version where someone was. It was about someone trying to put on the play, so it was like an, a modern American version of the play. And, but the best part is the the witches at the beginning were his three ex wives. Uh, <laughs> you, you, you know, there was interesting. There was that big thing in the early aughts of the modern facelift of uh, Shakespearean plays, movies mm -hmm. like uh Oh and stuff like that. Uh, the the Romeo and Juliet that mm -hmm. uh, Leonardo DiCaprio in it. But I digress. Off the top of my head, there is only one storytelling fran 
movie, at least movie, that I can think of that truly just straight up said maybe we were wrong about the prophecy. And that was Revenge of the Sith, mm -hmm. where, yeah, where they're like, well, Anakin's the chosen one. And Obi-Wan's like a prophecy that we may have misinterpreted. Like, yeah, then you're just like, you know, that balance where it is real like, weird. Yeah, mm, Two yeah. versus several thousand. <laughs> That's balance. Yeah, yeah like, I, I don't know if we got this or not. Um, I, I, I think for me and where it plugs into my stories, is things that are going to happen, but not like you think, basically. You know what I mean? That it's it's almost more the Macbeth type, where mm -hmm. you're like, the trees are gonna move and a man who's never been born of a woman, what? And then you get to the end and you're like, oh, word, all those things did happen. <laughs> and here we are, so. They, they have to happen. If they don't happen, then it's not a prophecy. It's just someone made a guess and it was wrong. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you're told there's a prophecy, you know that either it will transpire exactly as described or because that would be boring it'll transpire in ways you, you don't think mm -hmm. and i my my big issue with prophecies is is more than that though i in terms of novel writing i find it it's often a bit lazy <laughs> it's a bit of saying here's an artificial rule that i'm applying to the universe uh to guide the characters who otherwise would have no reason to expect anything mm. to do with this um and and it's set, it's set from the beginning. Well, but to, to Aaron's previous point, though, is it? You know, I mean, That's are you my, saying yeah. th that this is a world where the characters <laughs> believe it or it's a world where it's well, true and those things are not automatic? So I, I actually want to bring up two examples of like kind of the way I I think prophecies are interesting um, in stories. And I'm actually going to say something nice about Game of Thrones. Um, oh. The I mean, one thing I will the give that. Books. <laughs> well, it actually is. Uh, well, kind of. The, the, the thing that I will give it, th there are a lot of prophecies that get thrown out through that entire show. Like there's the one with Cersei, there's the one with Azura High, there's Lightbringer, there's all these things. And when you get to the end of it, like maybe one of them was actually true. Like one of them actually ended up happening. And so I, I do kind of give them credit for that. Cause I, but I know a lot of people have like gotten mad about there's like these plot lines went nowhere. And I'm like, eh, well, sort of, um, they, but it, it, there was, it was almost like they threw so many prophecies at you. <laughs> if only this was a video podcast for me, Dave. I'm expressing, I'm non-physically expressing my disdain. <laughs> but it, it, it's like, there's so many prophecies there that you, you don't know, you know, you're, you're thinking like, oh, all of them are going to be true. And then not all of them are. And it kind of makes you go like, OK, well, are the rest of them going to be true at the end or not? So I, I liked that. But and to be Dave's point about Revenge of the Sith, that scene is really cool where they're like, oh, we may have misread this. But they've there's been like three different times in like the entire Star Wars saga that the the actual purpose of the prophecy have been talked about because there's revenge of the sith there's the clone wars art called mortis where they literally go visit force gods which is wild um and yep. then there's uh luke at the end of return of the jedi where people have been like he was the actual chosen one he actually brought balance to the force and stuff like that i i like that i like when there is a prophecy and there's no completely clear way how it came true um here's why george r. r martin gets zero credit for that by the way <laughs> i knew this was coming <laughs> but he, well one he was pantsing which you know i detest but two that that was a byproduct of his own deep cynicism he wasn't thinking oh i'm gonna do something cool with this azor hazai thing yeah and 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 or actually i take that back he probably was thinking i'm a, i'll do something cool eventually derba 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 and then just didn't 
<laughs> the same with all the other Maggie the Frog things. Let me just go on the record, just by the way, that Anakin Skywalker was the chosen one and did bring balance to the Force, not only by eradicating the Jedi and the Sith, but by balancing the light and the dark within himself before his death. That's all. Mm-hmm. Sorry. I'll, I'll talk for the next hour about that. Although, in an odd way, it was um, the, the Clone Wars, uh, no, Rebels, revealed Obi-Wan really did believe Luke was the chosen one and not Anakin. Because mm. um, he, he says it to Darth Maul as Darth Maul is dying. Mm. But I, I, I oh, digress. Right, yeah. I feel like you're I, giving an ed, ed a crash course in like your core beliefs about the world. I am, I am <laughs> it's, it's impressive how consistent. fast it's yeah. happening. What, yeah. what movie are these references coming from? Uh, uh, the, the last one was from Clone Wars. The Rebels. Yeah. Star, Star Wars oh, that Rebels one's from Rebels. That's right. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. We, yep. B, B Dave and I talk about Star Wars a lot. Sorry. Uh- <laughs> I mean, it's, uh, it is indicative of the monomyth, but I digress. <laughs> In, anything else about prophecy before we move to the next question? I was yeah. going to say, and I think this might be a good segue to next question, is that it feels like one of the core decisions to make is if you're going to have a prophecy, is this a world in which prophecies work, right? Because like we've had prophets throughout history and most spoiler alert, I'm pretty sure most of them are just making it up, right? but but people believe in them. And so it's sort of like when we talk about Macbeth, like are the witches seeing the future? Or are the witches setting up a circumstance where Macbeth is going to absolutely fuck himself because mm-hmm. he is who he is? Because he could have been like, no, that starts with murder and hard pass. But he, he's like, well, I, prophecy, I get to do this. I I feel like because it's so specific, the things they tell him, they are in fact seeing the future, but the nature of hubris is Macbeth at any point he could go, turn he back. just said no. At, at any point, he could have been like, mm, this has gone a bit further than I thought, <laughs> you know? And that's why it's a tragedy because the 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 witches very much are like, mm, IDK bro, we see some stuff. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, again, now I'm just getting worse and worse about it just to watch Ed turn red. I, um, but this leads well. into other world building decision questions, which are on this awesome list. Mm-hmm. I would absolutely be on a panel for any of these topics. Well, well go, go ahead. Just, grab, 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 grab the next now. one. <laughs> grab the next one. I mean, way to assume she's or got I can a roll a die. Hang on. I'm going to stall while okay. she looks at the list here. No, um, no, no. Here's the thing. I think okay. there's there's three that flow off of that nicely. Mm-hmm. Um, how real world issues are reflected in worlds of fantasy. Mm. Um, is there actually a difference between far future science and magic? And mm. unlocking the final form power emergence as a theme in fantasy. I'm gonna I'm gonna go with the 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 real world thing um, as a dovetail because you're right these are all divisions and one thing that we said but I want to put a light on is you as writer and you as creator I really think you need to decide if this is a world where prophecies are true or not because mm-hmm. I think if you try and have it both ways it's going to be very unfulfilling um, I think you can give yourself room for what Aaron said, which God gave you this prophecy to what end? You know, I, I think the God of uh, grains and home and hearth telling you that you will have a poor harvest and the God of death telling you will have a poor harvest are kind of different things, even <laughs> though they're, you know, uh, and, and you can allow for a world where if this is coming through oracles or the oracles misunderstanding, is it truly like the Oracle of Delphi where she enters into a fit and says things that then another person interprets, you know? And is so, so have an idea about that. But that being said, um, 
this also, I think, is an excellent way that you can introduce early uh, certain aspects about your culture and your reality and the world that they live in, in the sense that, again, let's take Star Wars, Anakin Skywalker being the chosen one. Um, why do you want a chosen one? Why is that good? He's going to bring balance to the Force. Is that ideal? I mean, theoretically, the Jedi should not want balance with the Force. They want balance with themselves. They should not actually be particularly interested in the dark side. Um, so the fact that, like, this guy is going to teach us to shoot lightning, too, should not necessarily have been ideal. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and if you have a world where, um, again, to use the Macbeth analogy that the king is going to be brought low and you'll be the new king, but he's not really in the line of succession. And so now you get to introduce this line of succession and the fact that Macbeth really doesn't have any expectation to be king, but then it is kind of a popularity contest because Duncan, you know, it, it, you know, read Macbeth kids if you haven't already. <laughs> but but it, it's just, but, but the fact that, that the witches are like, this is what is going to happen. And Macbeth and Lady Macbeth are like, no, it's not. Well, wait, shit, is it? Whoa, maybe, <laughs> you know, um, you've versus versus having someone have to try and sit you down and be like, well, okay, so he's the king, um, but you know, I'm actually like fourth in line of the of the line of succession and blah 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 blah. So, that's fair. Yeah, that's that's how we paraphrase, okay. you know, UK <laughs> Scottish, you know, government, blah 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 blah. <laughs> Um, so, okay, well then tell you what, let the one thing that actually did pop in my head there because you're talking, one of the other ones was the sci-fi uh, technology and magic and whatnot. Wait, and this, wait, 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 we're still talking about this one. And Aaron, Aaron was about could, to say- I'm, Oh, no, sorry. I was just gonna ask, because I thought, I thought- <laughs> Sorry, I'm out We were it. transferring to how do, how real world issues are reflected in the worlds of fantasy. Mm. And I was. was gonna ask Ed, there are any particular real world issues that you brought into Daughter of Red Winter? Yeah, so I, I actually think that fantasy novels at their best usually reflect at least one, you know, uh, current day cultural issue or question. And I think I think fantasy is really good at highlighting these because you because we remove the rest of the real world, you get to you get to have a look at an issue almost like you know, as though what happens if we view it without the tangle of our actual real day, everyday lives and the people, you know, our real world allegiances, for example. Um, so in Daughter of Redwinter, I uh, decided I wanted to look at uh, the concept of incels, um, mm -hmm. which are, uh, you know, the, I think I think we've got a word for this kind of um, ultra misogynistic, violent, angry behavior. Um, and I, I don't think I think those people have always existed. Um, uh, but I think we're able to understand as well. It's not the uh, you know this dramatic misogyny is not just from people who are very outwardly extroverted and angry and abusive in that way, and that abuse can take an awful lot of different forms. Some of which are much subtler, um, manipulative, and cruel. So I decided I wanted to write uh, at least one character who who would um, show this. And you've got to be careful as an author writing any, well, how you, how you treat any kind of real world issue. Because, of course, you're writing a fiction 
and uh, there is, you know, you you can't prove a point. You can't, you can't, and especially what you you can't do is, you know, have the bad guy uh, thrashed with phys physical violence to, you know, get their just desserts. <laughs> it doesn't prove a moral truism. Mm -hmm. um, but what you can do is just try and depict it, depict de depict the character, depict the the action or the the cultural um creation so yeah door of redwinter has um there is one character who uh is this this kind of um has this belief uh, this entitlement belief and uh how that impacts but very entitled but also very much believes that he is kind that he loves uh mm. women uh that he wants to he just wants to be loved you know mm. um he wants real true love but of course, it's not true love. It's it's self obsession, self absorption, and ultimately um, quite malicious. Mm. Uh, well, Aaron, I think you're about to say something. I do. Have I was going to ask if it, if how how you think having a, a second world, a secondary world, um, impacts that and changes that. Like, is there is there something about being able to write that in a fantasy world that that has has shifted it? Aside from being able to strip out sort of real world things, did you? You know, is it impacted by the magic system or is it um, impacted by the social structure of the culture you built or something like that? Anything cool you want to tell in addition to that? Because that does sound very neat. So I mean, horrible. Of... That guy sounds horrible, but also fun to read about, just to be clear. The internet will love him. Or already does. Uh, the second world, like, it lets you it lets you look at things in isolation. So uh, Daughter of Redwinter is set in a pseudo-Scottish, you know, Macbethish uh, kind of... Uh, fancy worlds with um, you know its own magic system and all that kind of thing. But uh, when you when you take something like that, like a um, a cultural idea that we now have, um, or a way of thinking about things, of course, nobody in the book is ever gonna gonna say the word incel because it's, right. a, it's a very modern term. Ah, uh, yes, they're from Clan Incel. <laughs> <laughs> Angry bunch over there. They wrestle, they wrestle a lot. What a tone shift that would be. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. yeah, we we get to tell the story with without um, without the automatic assumptions from the reader. So you know, um, if we if we were to think about like what does it mean to be an insult today, you probably think of things like 4chan and uh, sort of websites of that nature. A tip um, of the fedora. Just <laughs> <laughs> throw up in my mouth a little. <laughs> Um, so, so how does that manifest when it's in a you know pre-industrial fantasy setting where mm -hmm. there are no community forums where these people aren't banding together to wallow in self-pity? Um, and so instead, sorry, you can probably hear Notting Hill Carnival is going on behind. Here. Actually, no, wait, we can't. It's, it's totally fine. I, I heard a cat at some point. Yeah, but not sorry that, about yeah. that. That was on me. <laughs> All right. I was like that. We have the cat had its own prophecy to foretell. It's like harken forsooth. You will feed me. <laughs> I have foreseen it. Yep. Sorry, what were you saying there? Yeah, sorry, Ed, we interrupted. Uh, yeah, but um, so ultimately, like, if you if you want to look at that issue in isolation, sometimes what's useful is to remove aspects that we have that affect it in in the real world. Um, and I'm not I'm not saying the whole book is is about this. this is yeah. Character mm -hmm. amongst, sure. Amongst the cast, but for instance. Um, what if 
uh, this character in societally is told that they are better than everyone and entitled to things. And so, that, you know, they are uh, in a position where most people would consider themselves lucky to be in an arranged marriage with them. Well, my thought on that was if they've got their pick and they can probably marry whoever they want, they choose not to marry anybody because the only way to maintain that self-loathing, which is combined with raving egotism, <laughs> is to remain... In, remain in a constant state of self-pity <laughs> and telling yourself that you've been unjustly done to. So by having oh. what you want, it would ruin it. Um, and I think I think that's I think that's a really pernicious aspect of the whole like um, cultural cultural uh, or subculture. So um, that's that's what a fantasy world lets you break the rules and then re-examine how that operates from a from a different standpoint. Yeah, I. Like yeah, no, that 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 is all brilliant stuff. Agreed with all of that. It, this is um, this comes up um, a lot, especially in fantasy, where you come up with concepts of like slavery, racism, sexism, like House of the Dragon. Right now, they're like, we wanted to show how sexist the time was. It's like the time's made up, Broseph. You know, <laughs> the time's sexist because you made it sexist. <laughs> you know, um, and um, you you were saying it's difficult to make a point. Um, about these things um i think you can though i think it depends on whether or not you want to make a point about it Is well no, i think you were saying thing? like you can't just like straight up say it like you can't oh right you i mean you should yeah. oh yeah i was about to say oh yeah then that's just bad writing Correct. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, i mean I, you know, there's um famously terry goodkind's books um if you, i don't know if you've read those but um they they start off as pretty uh, messy fantasy um, but ultimately devolve into being um, a really a, just constant analogies for why uh, certain right-wing aspects of American life are the correct way to live. Um, mm. And, you know, he what he presumably thinks he was doing, very Anne Randian, um, sort of, and what he presumably thought he was doing when he's writing them is proving the truth of what he believes. But they're made-up characters. <laughs> like, yeah. Your yeah. guys are always going to win. Scenario. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. Yep. Um, I, I make my little notes here. Um, <laughs> I was just reading a thing this week about how um, Alan Moore was talking about the fact that um, how what you think about Watchmen is left up to the reader, but it's like, but it isn't left up to the reader at all. I mean, you're, <laughs> you're, kind, of, you're kind of left like, well, what's going to happen next? Yeah. But... Seymour has Rorschach's journal. He does, you know? So you're like, well, he's probably going to publish it, but is anybody going to read it? It's this right-wing newspaper. I actually really didn't like the fact that DC and HBO revisited the world because I think the fact that it's what's going to happen next is kind of the strength and beauty of, of the story mm -hmm. versus uh, other times you very much can draw. Uh, and, and I find a lot of times it happens with, uh, with robots, for instance, like Battlestar Galactica, you know, the, the slave uprising of the robots in the in, in the robots coming to self-awareness. And then mm -hmm. you have something like Battlestar Galactica or Westworld, where that kind of becomes analogous uh, to, to slavery. Because unfortunately, what I find the other way, if you try and make it a biological species, it usually becomes the noble savage trope mm -hmm. before you make any other statement about it. Um, but I, I think it's... Um, 
it, it, it's we should always be careful of the things that we're inserting into our fantasy worlds and figuring out why especially mm. the thing about the sex like the sexism thing yeah. you know what i mean there's like it was the past it was sexist it's like ah. it's not the real past <laughs> you know I, I, again you know as, as i say my career exists in large part of my very vocal criticism of wizards of the coast and D&D and chult that they made all the black people kind of this lazy post-colonial thing and it's like mm -hmm. man it's fantasy you could have put them on the moon what are you doing um so I, I think having these fantasy building blocks and of course there's certain tropes that we all I won't say constrained by but are aware of mm -hmm. but it's like to what end are you using them you know, uh, and, 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 and what is that saying about society? Now, Aaron, I know you are the author of the upcoming Empire of Exiles, available for pre-order now. <laughs> Literally in the description. <laughs> which, which has, you know, a fairly intricate social structure. I mean, yeah. to what extent? So, well, since not a lot of us have gotten to read it yet, to, to what extent did I think the, the read it yet. real <laughs> modern world in, in, you know, um, influence the society that you constructed? I think in two kind of ways. Um, one is more of a of a, a, th a thing I am trying to say, which is about mental health um, and the way that we conceive of our you know mental mental health issues, right? And is it is it something that is a part of you, or is it something that's sort of sitting on you that you need to figure out how to take off? Because I think that step in a lot of people's journey is a very complex one. Mm -hmm. So the magic system functions kind of like um, a, a mood disorder. Um, and, and so I joke that the people that live in the archives that do the, the kind of magic that, that's the sorcerer librarians from the, from the, the back blurb or whatever it is, mm -hmm. um, that it's basically one part job and one part mental group health, well, a mental health group home. Right. Mm. Um, so the, this is the sort of ideas like how you interact with that. Um, and it is a lot more of a looking at this thing and less of a, here's how you should think about it. Um, which hopefully it, that's, you know, sits in a comfortable place where it's like, actually, this is a really complicated question. Mm -hmm. um, and the way that we, we handle these things is complicated. Sort of in another sense, like I wanted a world that had a lot of people all kind of jammed together. So it is a society where there are sort of the remnants of 10 nations have sort of been squeezed into this little mini empire um, because of a catastrophe that's happened. So you have this sort of multiculturalism without the colonialist kind of layer on top of it. Um, and, and so there is a question in there of like, how do you sort of hold on to who you are and also become this bigger person, bigger group, right? And, and my hope is there's not a right answer except man, this is complicated and it's a never ending job, right? It's a, it's a work that continues through the entirety of, of a culture of a nation, right? And in this case, it's kind of coming to a crisis point a little bit. Um, but in both cases, yeah, it's a it's a thing that I think is is interesting to look at. But it is also a thing that I I don't think becomes the the sort of thematic crux of the story because fundamentally it's a murder mystery. So who did the murder is the big part. <laughs> Although now, the, well, this is an excellent segue into the unlocking the final form. Power emerges as a theme in fantasy because <laughs> these people. This is see see the way we did that. We, yeah. <laughs> Uh, every once in a while we get one right um i will just I, I would like to end cap one other concept about theme because we talk about theme a lot but we talk about theme as a monolith 
So where it's like on the one, I do feel like there there should be an Omni theme, like a, like a statement that is being made. Omni theme uh, is my new band name. That is true. Uh, <laughs> but you have to put everything out on yourself. cassette though. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> you, because it is um, not to belabor uh, why George R. R. Martin's dead to me, but there's a brilliant thread that I put up we on Twitter to where- change this podcast name. <laughs> yeah, writing about dragon <laughs> shit, colon, uh, George R. R. Martin is why, dead to be dead. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's, it'd be a long but but depressing series of podcasts, and and I like to think about happy things. But there is a, there's an excellent Twitter thread that 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 I posted that just sort of deconstructed what is wrong with Game of Thrones. And one of the things that they pointed out ultimately is like it is lacking an overtheme. It is lacking a statement about these things. It just sort of like shows you things, most of which are terrible, and leaves them there in a vacuum. Um, so to the point that Aaron was making, it is definitely possible in uh, ideal in good writing that you can be making statements about mental health, but you can also be making statements about the nature of truth to power, the nature of imperialism, you know, the mm -hmm. nature of morality and good and evil. It's a, it is a, um, a crystalline shell of, of points and statements that you can be making. But anyhow, final form, power emergence is fantasy. So these people's power is everybody's power. Because um, I know you have a, a very um, intricate magical system you've constructed. Um, I don't think where, of it as intricate, but okay. But I mean, is everybody's power emerging out of these mental states, or, or do some people's come from elsewhere? Uh, the in Empire of Exiles, there's sort of two magic systems available one now them, for pre-order. <laughs> one of them is um like a magitech, like a technological thing, um which hopefully we'll find out more about in the second book because I still have to finish it. Mm. Um, but the other one is the affinity magic, which is basically people have a connection to worked materials, and there is a spectrum. So some people are just like really good at making bronze because they have a little bit of this. They can just feel that it's, you know, okay, it's it's the right mixture. Um, and then you have specialists who can sort of touch something and tell what's the, you know, what's the tin content of this and where did it come from? And depending on how strong their power is, which sort of has a, a pattern of waxing and waning, um, they can kind of like sort of stop remembering how to deal with people and only kind of deal with their material. Um, there are also people who have sort of the apex of this who are sorcerers who just live constantly in that place between, you know, being people and being glass mm -hmm. um, and understanding the two things. And and so um, the, the that is something you are born with, um, but it is the case that they are sort of through this series discovering more things about it um, and how how it um it might be that they're not quite understanding it the way mm. they think they are but that gets into spoilery stuff so i'm not <laughs> gonna get into it um ed did uh, uh did power emergence as uh play a theme in uh, daughter of red winner yeah so um it's the the initial idea i had for daughter of red winter was i mean wait this is way way back um and i'll be honest First time I wrote Daughter of Red Winter, it, it was about um, a male character who was a thinly veiled version of myself. <laughs> <laughs> it was a really Here's where I win. Um, <laughs> um, uh, and I, I came to rewrite it many years later. Um, and when I, yeah, um, 
the initial concept I had was was I, I'm sure other people I know other people have, have had a crack at writing this. Um, but what if what if uh, Sauron was right? Um, <laughs> and what if what if you were destined to become Sauron from the beginning, and you kind of knew it was sort of you be, you became slowly aware of it, and so Rain, our protagonist, um, she's 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 seventeen in the first book. And she can see the the spirits of the dead, and that's uh, an ability that will get her executed, stoned to death, if anyone knows she has it. Um, and she finds herself uh, sort of rescued, sort of rescued by um, this order of warrior ma magicians, who whose name I I wrote D R A O I H N. And no, no one can pronounce it. I, can't, I don't even know how it's pronounced. <laughs> so, so I, I've been reading your book, but I'm a very slow reader. I was actually going to ask about that at some point. <laughs> I love things, just like tiny sidebar when those just come looks, up, and it yeah. looks cool, right? You do it because yeah. you're not, you're not. And then the audiobook people are like, "How do you say this?" <laughs> yeah. I have definitely I, given audiobook notes where I said, "Follow your heart." <laughs> <laughs> Well, I, 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 I had to do that. I had to do a whole, every character name for the audiobook. Mm -hmm. It's based on the word, um, the Gaelic word for druid, um, which oh. is spelled, it looks fair, slightly similar, but it wouldn't, it doesn't work in Gaelic, drawing, because that's how I mostly say it. But I think mm -hmm. it should be drian. Uh, or something close to that. Okay, I'm um, very happy with myself because I followed those cues and I got to that first pronunciation. Hey. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's difficult because I'm, I'm basing it on Scottish Gaelic, but mm. uh, at the same time, it's for an English-speaking audience. So mm. I can't really use a Gaelic spelling and expect people who are reading in English to understand it's pronounced completely Only different. Only, only reason I got there is because of a small hyperfixation I had in college about uh, Kahulan. So, <laughs> but it, well, it does look um, cool and it is really good. Well, anyway, she falls in with them, um, and they are the people who would most want to kill her if they know she to see the dead. And you know, through three books worth of events, um, her her power in that aspect of seeing the dead, you know has to move to communicating with them, to controlling them. And, you know, down the road, we'll probably see much bigger and bigger things as that. But, you know, power has a price. Mm -hmm. if, you, if you're going to mess with that kind of magic, then uh, it's going to, you know, it's going to have some hefty consequences going along. And I think, I think that, uh, but what if you were also the only person who understood that what you were doing was right as well. Mm -hmm. So, so that's that's the kind of theme I wanted overall. Of you're becoming Sauron, but maybe you should make the Ring of Power. <laughs> <laughs> Justice for Sauron, you know. I mean, obviously that's the side I'm on. You know, that's, uh, I'm just saying, Mordor was the actual egalitarian society in Middle Earth. You know, everywhere else was sort of kind of class based and racist, to tell you the truth. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just, uh, I, I do have a completely, or not a completely different question, but a related question. Um, we talk a lot about process and things like that. You mentioned daughter Red Winter having come up with it years ago. I'd say from the idea, from the first time you sat down to write the version that was quasi a reflection of you to again, to which I say whomst among us. Oomst. <laughs> how long ago was that? And then from 
when you sort of arrived at the idea that would eventually become the book that was in stores, how long was that? So I guess I, I, I mean, I, I started writing the first version maybe around 2000 and I want to say 2007, something oh. like that. Yep. Um, and I, I wrote for, it took, took a, a few years to write it and I, it came out at 280,000 words. It had no story, just me <laughs> from, from, from tedious self-reflective event to event. Um, I have a printed copy of my version of that. <laughs> I, I've got to tell you, I'm a complete pantser. I, I do not plot at all. I, 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 I just, whenever I've written out a plot, I find that I abandon it in chapter two because I've had a better <laughs> idea in chapter one. So now I... Having said that, I have to delete about half of what I write. So, you know, I'm, not, I'm not condoning it. Um, <laughs> hey, but the but books the, are getting done, though. Zone exactly. of safety. The books are getting done. Yep. Yep. Yeah. But I've, I guess I, I, I said, I remember I sent it out to uh, agents in like 2011. Mm -hmm. And an agent very, or around then, an agent very kindly told me that no one was going to publish a book of that size from a debut author. Um, could I cut it in half? And I just said, I looked at it, I was like, Nothing happens in the middle of this book. <laughs> it's like a hundred thousand words of like hanging out. <laughs> um, so I, I couldn't, and I so I I stopped submitting it, and um, I just thought, right, I'm going to write a nice short ninety thousand word novel. Um, and I wrote Blackwing, my first book. Um, that was one hundred sixty thousand words, so that didn't go to plan either. Um, <laughs> And then it was it was uh, years later um, after I finished the first trilogy. I I was lying, I was I remember I was in France. I was lying on a on like an inflatable bed in a swimming pool, staring up at the up, up at the sky. And I've I've been trying to write a new book for about a year and a half, and I was so miserable because I've written two hundred thousand words worth of false starts at that point, mm. and I hated all my ideas. So I went back to revisit this this ancient trunked book. <laughs> And I thought, I think some of the, the core ideas behind it were good and one or two characters, but everything else has to go. And so I, I wrote again from scratch. The, there's not, not a word of that original <laughs> 280 exists in the book yeah. uh, that got published. And I guess that probably took, took me about nine months to write after that. Um, and and, and that, that was roughly when? Roughly what year? Uh, when did... What, what year is it now? <laughs> that is a valid question. Let me double check. I think it's year 2022, allegedly. Around, it would be around 2020. Because, yeah. Mm. Uh, oh, I, wow. Nice. We sold it. In, I think I saw, we sold it in August 2020. So mm. I've been writing for, would have been working on it for about, yeah, the year. So, yeah, so it must be going back to 2019, I suppose. Yeah. Mm -hmm. There's a pandemic, baby. Yeah. <laughs> There's a pandemic, totally baby. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Um, nice. did, did, did we have the, the next one that we were going to do? I can't remember if someone was, said that, was, and I already was, talked over someone once on that. <laughs> uh, uh, it's a good lesson, isn't it? Like, never throw anything away. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, even absolutely. Your, even your worst stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Sometimes it's just got to, like, simmer. Well, well no, please. Uh, or, or at least there might be something to extract from it. 
Right. Mm, and yeah. I, mean, I think part of that is the fact that like, okay, so you wrote this huge book and, and you were like, oh, this isn't working. It's not going to work. And do you think at that moment you could have looked at it and go, oh, but this, 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 that's the part I mean about summer is that like you let it sit for a while and you can see it with like a little more distance and mm -hmm. a little more like awareness of what you want out of the book. And so being able to like put it aside and then come back to it and go, actually, boop, 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 those are really cool. And if I took them, I put them in a new book, it's going to kick ass. Um, in, so it so could be as big as I like this as it is, but I need to tweak up all these ideas and, and rewrite this middle bit. Or it could be, ah, I see the really best parts have risen to the surface. I take these now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've, I've definitely experienced both where you're like, oh, hey, little me, I see what you were getting at. But, you know, you just <laughs> didn't have the skill to execute it. Let me help you. Yeah. And then other times, like, little me, bro, 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 bro. <laughs> but the vampire ninja, that character's cool. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's um, it, my, my comic series, uh, A Darkened Wish, as I've said many times, started as World of Warcraft fan fiction. Um yeah, so it's it, there. There's it all. It all comes back around. Well, it doesn't all come back around, but on occasion, <laughs> some of it comes back around. It's like I, I hate when my hoarding is rewarded. Like all the things I just oh hold God, on I to. Oh God, I hate it. Old, you know, old power cords and things like that. And then just every once in a while, you're like, ha ha! <laughs> I did need a dot matrix printer cable. <laughs> the same thing with old writing. Yeah, that box of wires that you have from things. That yep. you've long ago thrown away. One day, you know you're gonna that box into, is literally like, sitting right next to me. <laughs> it's, it, I, I hate it. I will say this: I'm gonna put the whole list here in our chat that we can see. And mm. Ed, our lovely guest, is there another one of these that you for sure want to hit on? These were your there ideas. I know you want to talk about all of them, but for sure, if you're like, I definitely want to talk about blank. Let's have a look. Let's have a look. Um, Let's let's talk about what what's your favorite monster and why is it a dragon? <laughs> Aaron's That's favorite fair. question. That's fair. Yeah. Well, yeah, we're gonna let Aaron start. Go. <laughs> no, I need a minute to think about what my favorite okay. monster is. I well, do think dragons are great, but uh, I will start then. Uh, favorite monster. So I I I have tiered answers because some of them are very much ip that i can't touch you know like uh, <laughs> like in dungeons and dragons i love umber hulks for instance but yeah. those are very much D, D ip um wild curveball i think and this is a little bit of a cheat i'll narrow it down to one i was gonna say my favorite monster is either the hydra or the nemean lion because mm. I'm a mythology buff mm. and I love the fact that you can go to Greece and they're like, no, that's the cave of the Hydra right over there. You know, like Hercules killed the Nemean lion right here. Like, I love that. Mm -hmm. I love that. Um, dragons are, are, are fantastic. I think if I got to pick a specific dragon, it would be Smaug. You know, he is fire, he is death. <laughs> um, but otherwise, yeah, I, I, See, I would say... The Hydro or the Nemean Lion. See, I, I'm I'm actually going to play straight into the question. I think it is a dragon for me. And, and um, I, I took a mythology class in college. And one day, randomly, it had literally nothing to do with what we were talking about. But some kid in the class asked our professor, uh, why, why are dragons so prevalent throughout different mythologies? 
Um, and because they were real. <laughs> First I mean, reference it, of a fire-breathing dragon ever in the Bible, by the way. I, yeah, I know, please. I know, I know. Yeah. Uh, but he, he said, I mean, if you think about it, it has so many archetypal fears that we had as people, you know, way back in the day. Uh, lizards, they could be poisonous. They could kill you. They had sharp teeth. You did not want to get bit by one. Flying things. Things came flying at you out of the air. That's freaking terrifying. And they could, you know, kill you that way. And then fire. Fire burns. And if you put all <laughs> those things together, that is a nightmare. And, and so this easily, like, uh, you know, you understand all aspects that are scary of this creature on like a fundamental level. And that's why like dragons were this terrifying thing. And I, and, and I think that is why I kind of always go back to like having dragons in fantasy because they're one, they're terrifying, but they're also really cool. <laughs> this is okay. I have a weird tangent that, but it's related to that. Mm -hmm. So uh, I took, I had an anthropology degree. I took primatology classes in college. And one of the weird facts that I remember is, um, so pot, I think it's potus monkeys, um, have uh, three different alarm calls with like a kind of fourth um, changed one. Um, if they make the, like the lion call, right? They all run up a tree. If there's like, you know, a ground predator. Um, if they make the bird call, they all drop out of the tree and and kind of stay stay close to it so the bird can't swoop down and this was in the context of like young potus monkeys will make the bird cry when like a leaf is falling because they understand the concept and then all the adults know to ignore the babies because they're still figuring it out um and then if there's a snake uh they all uh group up and beat the shit out of the snake they've also got a human cry which is drop out of the tree and everybody scatter <laughs> and what i love about this is your dragon description encompasses all of the alarm cries into one creature oh, yeah. and i love the idea of potus monkeys developing this like little proto mythology of like what if all of them at once <laughs> because like a gun is like fire and yeah 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 um yeah. i yeah, I went down, a, I opened a list of, of creatures and I scrolled down and the thing I saw that I'm like, oh yeah, I do like those things is scorpion men. Uh, they're from like uh, Akkadian mythology and I just always thought they were really weird. Like, come on, if you're going to have like a centaur or something, like why don't we just like combine it with something really badass, which is... <laughs> and they have these guys cool guys i got this idea it's super metal <laughs> <laughs> they open the doors for the sun they close the doors to the underworld at night their heads touch the sky their terror is awesome and their glance is death oh. they're really weird and is... i i have stuck them in in stories as like reference for like the scary shit that's in the mountains but what 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 uh, mythology are they from because that's amazing yeah right like uh acadian they're, they're called gear to be um yeah here i will drop the the so Wikipedia thing, because cool. I was like, is there another name for them? But I don't think I ever called them Gear to Belu. But, but, uh, but Ed, what, 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 what about you? <laughs> is it dragons or is it something else? Um, I mean, I, I like it. I, I like a dragon. Um, but uh, I'm for me, it's always about the undead. Uh, it's, mm. uh, um. But I, I like, you know, we, undead, undead have got mauled a bit recently in uh, in a lot of fiction, especially like, you know, vampires being uh, essentially just t turned into older man fantasies um, in team fiction. Um, but I like, you know, I like my undead to look like undead. I, mm. I want to be <laughs> desiccated, withered yeah. out, husk. And and the lich, the uh, yeah. the, the undead wizard, 
or you know, a thousand. I love the idea of anything that can be imprisoned for a thousand years and just sits there sulking and planning for <laughs> the rest of the world. Like uh, those, that's that's where my monsters. Um, I, I know they're they're not technically quite as monstrous as as dragons in form, but um, there's undead dragons too. There's uh, dragon <laughs> liches. So, dragon you know, liches. They do. Oh like god, he's, he's getting the reference model. Don't do it. Don't do it. Have you seen the new Vecna? Two of my babies. Yeah. The, the oh, game you put out. Yeah, sorry. I know you guys. This is audio. I'm showing him my Dra my Draco Lich figures. They're yep, really sorry. cool. Yep. Yep. Uh, Blue, you all just go and get our miniatures collection. The world's worst audio experience. <laughs> we just look at stuff. Yeah. <laughs> I have a, a zombie tangent. Actually, I guess it's a twofer because I was going to ask you if you saw the new Vecna art that they put out mm. the smoldering <laughs> he is kind of smoldering he's a little bit of a hottie yeah right? <laughs> weird. they did that it's very upsetting yeah, it's like vecna. i'm desiccated and undead but also booty pop right <laughs> hot, 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 hot vecna is off-putting yeah right there is this book coming out um that i will not be reading because i will tell you i am absolutely freaked out by zombies um but you were talking about how there's like vampires have become kind of like YA sexy there's a book coming out called The Undead Truth of Us, where the boy she likes is a zombie. <laughs> I don't, I'm so scared of this book, but I did want they do that to read a, it. I could have sworn they did a movie once that it was a, it was a zombie love story and it was Romeo and Juliet, essentially. Yeah, it was something hands. Yeah. Um, um, oh God, yeah, I can't remember. Not what, idle hands, it's like warm hands or yeah. something like that. Oh, warm bodies. Warm bodies. That's like what it was it. called. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it. It's hard to understand, like, like the sexiness that can be found in a zombie. Like, obviously, vampires, like, they're essentially, you know, they're, they're, let's say, you know, an eighty-year-old or five hundred-year-old man who still goes to school because he's like a teenage boy, and he hasn't, in, in all that time, he hasn't figured out his life on how to like not have to keep going to school. Yeah. Oh right, I, yeah, that is that is that what someone I might just, ask questions. It's like I mean, <laughs> honestly, like it's you think about the guy you know who like peaked in high school and that's already kind of <laughs> it, and now he's 140 years old and he's still like he peaked in high school. You didn't grow past that. You know, I understand that I was never the target audience for that particular book series, but I'm 44 and an 18 year old is of no interest to me, <laughs> much less. <laughs> A hundred and forty. Okay. No, but okay. now you've got me thinking about a vampire that's like uh, the the dad from Married with Children, where he's like, you know, six hundred years old. He's like, but I got that touchdown in high school. <laughs> uh, I, I will just say this as an aside: um, one of Nostradamus's prophecies is a zombie uprising. It was supposed to happen in twenty twenty. So hey, there still may be time. Ed. And here's the here's, here's here's the wild thing: there's a zombie uprising but it's not the end of civilization civilization ends in like the year 3600 or something so i guess we win i don't know mm -hmm. and all these yeah. prophecies come true in this world yeah. <laughs> we're right. still playing that was an act one callback well oh, we're, we're, we're getting towards the the, so the the end of this episode uh ed thank you again so much for for uh, talking with us today and bringing these awesome uh topics and questions this, this was an absolute blast um if uh, people wanted to find you and your work where could they do so Uh, you can find me at edmcdonaldwriting.com uh, or at 
Ed McDonald TFK on Twitter. And you can probably not find me on TikTok. I <laughs> <laughs> no. no, did TikTok we... and it just confused me. And, uh, where, I want to find we... a youth I can hire to <laughs> Youth! Uh, that's, that's it. You'll go viral. Make me go viral, kid. Uh, where can people find your books, Ed, for this being the shameless plug section of the show? Yeah, absolutely. And also, there will be a link in the description uh, for, for listeners as well. Uh you should be able to find Daughter of Red Winter and the Raven's Mark series, which is Blackwing, Raven Cry, and Crowfall, uh, at any major or hopefully minor uh, indie book outlets. You can find it on the um, the website named after the rainforest, uh, <laughs> and uh, basically anywhere anywhere that books are sold. Uh, audiobook is narrated uh, by Samara McLaren. Um, she's absolutely wonderful. Uh, she has a wonderful Scottish accent um which is perfect for oh and i uh, have an audible credit <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. so yeah uh please check those out will do uh friends uh what what, what about you where, where uh, what awesome things you're working on where you think you find you uh you can find me on twitter at aaron m evans you can join me on mondays uh twitch.tv slash dungeon scrollers at 1 30 p.m pacific for uh concentration check a cool writing space come get some work done with me um, you can pre-order Empire of Exiles, uh, wherever you like to do that. Please pre-order. Pre-orders are very important. <laughs> and you can join me with these guys, um, for Champions of Lore this week at 11 a.m. Uh, Pacific on Twitch.tv slash CNE Games. Yeah. I don't know what we're going to do, but it's going to be cool. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. We're going to talk about something. Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about something, and then I'm going to get off that call and head immediately to the airport for D&D in a castle. So, yeah, I'm about to be gone for two weeks. I'll be up in the north of England. Uh, B.D. Walters, I say words about things. Apparently, I travel all over the world telling stories. Hey, uh, follow me on the Tweetograms uh, at B. Dave Walters. Um, I guess I'd be remiss if I didn't say that Dungeons and Dragons of Dark and Witch is also available in stores. I saw it at Barnes & Noble last night. Gotta tell you, never get tired of that. And uh, pre-order... Empire of Exiles. I know, dear friends, those of you that have been with us have long since ordered your copies. But the, I feel those like of they're you, very bored, right? They're like, Stop well, but it. but but the the legions of Ed McDonald fans that have tuned in <laughs> to listen to this, this is the first you are hearing about it. So go pre-order Empire of Exiles. And all the people who've pre-ordered, go buy Daughter of Red Winter. Yes. Promotion. Yes. True. Absolutely. Do it. Um, uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at the Trevor. There is an A hiding in there. Ed, once again, thank you so much for, for joining us. This was a really, really fun time getting to talk with you. Uh, and I can't wait to uh, car carve out time of my day to finally finish Daughter of Red Winter because, again, I'm a slow reader and I apologize for that. <laughs> uh, but uh, that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Uh, if you would like to send in questions or topic suggestions or anything like that, you can send them to writingaboutdragonsshit at gmail.com. Uh, if you'd like to support the show, the best way to do that is to leave a review on your podcast service of choice and tell your friends about the show. And last, if you'd like to keep up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at About Dragons. But until next week, go write about some dragons and shit. Mm -hmm.